good with that? Yeah, there we go. So thank you, Josh, again. I appreciate it. Um, we are starting a new series this week called Waymaker. And I asked Josh to give his testimony. I, I was familiar with Josh's testimony. I've heard it from him before. And I, I really wanted you to hear from him today because as we work our way through this series, we're going to be looking at several attributes of God that are mentioned in that song that you heard a few minutes ago, Waymaker. Uh, the first attribute is the very title of the song, which is Waymaker. And, and I think that we can all agree that God can find a way into people's hearts. If you look at Josh's story, there's nothing in that story up to his moment of coming to know Christ that would lead you to believe that he was on a collision course for a radically transforming moment with Christ. But yet, God found a way. He didn't find a way. God made a way into Josh's life and into his heart. And so this morning, we're going to start right there. We're going to start with this idea of God being a way maker into the lives of people. Now, God will make a way. It is up to us whether or not we accept that or not. Josh, you could have very easily said no to God and walked away and continued living your life in the way that you were living it. But God makes a way to journey into the life of man if we're willing to open up and receive it. We'll look at that a little bit later in the message. But for now, I want to start at this idea that God is a way maker into the hearts and lives of man. And one thing that I want you to see is this. That is that God has always, always been driven to provide a way. God has always been driven to provide a way into the hearts and the lives of man. He finds that way from the beginning of time. God was determined to be with us. We see periods in, in history throughout Scripture that prove this. Of course, we started the garden. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image. To be like ourselves, they will reign over the fish and the sea, the birds and the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals of the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you, we skipped a few verses there. God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given every single green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds, the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came. Marking the sixth day. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. It says this, When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. And tragically it says, So they hid from the Lord among the trees. I want you to see a couple of things in these passages of Scripture. From the very beginning, God's plan was for there to be a way, there to be a correlation, there to be a relationship between God 
and us between God and man. As we look at those verses in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 through 31, we see God very specifically lay out all of his creation and then he creates man. And then he says to man, everything that I've created is for you. Right? Like he recounts, he says, everything that I've created, it's, it's for you. I'm giving this over to you. And then it says, at the end of the day, God looked at everything. And for the first time, God said, it's very good. Right? Like, this is very good. Like, like, you hit that moment, you know, when, when, when what you're working on becomes perfection. You know, when you're, when you're painting that room and, and you pull that tape off and you sit back and you go, man, this is, this is good. Right? Or if you're Jamie Saylor, there's no tape involved. He just, shh, just paints it. You're like, how do you even do that, man? That's crazy. Right? And, or that, you put that, you perfectly place that cherry on top of that Sunday and step back and go, ooh, that is good, right? That is so good. Or you finish that paper, you redo it that final time, and you hit print, or you hit sand, and you go, man, that is, that is good. Right? That, that feeling of finality, that feeling of being finished, that feeling of now I've made everything perfect just the way I want it. And that was God's expression after the creation of man. He looks back and he goes, everything is now exactly the way I want it. It's perfect. Right? This, is, this is what I envisioned when I started the creation process. And he says, it's now very, very good. And then he stops. He stops. And then we see in verse 8 of Genesis chapter 3, it ends tragically, but it begins with such promise. It ends in tragedy. It ends with, with Adam and Eve hiding because of the disgrace that they've invited into their life. But it begins with such beauty, which says, when the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife were walking in the garden. It was standard practice. It was normal. It was it was an everyday event. Adam and Eve were in the garden and God would just come walking through the garden. Just coming to spend time with them. Such a, a promising passage of scripture in the beginning to end such so tragically. But that's the point, isn't it? God had created man and made a way for him to have relationship with God. And yet we blew it. And so God said, it's okay. It's okay. It's not going to be the way that I originally intended it, but it's okay. We're going to make this work. And very rapidly, man progresses in that newfound sin. You know, sin was, was just a, a little baby in, its, in the life of Adam and Eve. It was, just, it was just the dawn of sin, right? Like it wasn't, man wasn't corrupt and filled with sin. It was that, that early sin, that first sin. Right? But very quickly it, it, it grew and manifested itself in the lives of man. And man became so corrupt and so evil that God looked at him and he said, My beautiful creation is so ruined that I've got to just hit restart. Right? It's time for a hard reset. And so he, he resets through the calamity and the tragedy of Noah and the flood. He, he, he sends a global a flood to rearrange, I mean, physically and literally rearrange the earth. He wipes out all of mankind except for one family. He, he, he 
brings these animals into this ark. It's a, it's a, a miracle of epic. Like, we don't talk about Noah in terms of, of miracles. Like, we, we look at Noah and we're like, man, that's a really great engineering feat. Right? That a guy who didn't know how to build a boat built a floating vessel. It wasn't really a boat. It was a floating vessel that was also a zoo that he had his family in and he managed to build it in a way that it floated. It didn't sink. Right? It, didn't, it didn't sink. If you've ever gone and watched like a, like a, um, like a regatta or one of those races where they build their own, people build their own boats and they bring them out, they often start very good and end very bad because most people don't know how to build a boat that floats. And so, Noah built it. And we look at that and we go, man, it's a great feat of engineering. It wasn't a feat of engineering. It was a miraculous miracle. Like the fact that, that Noah was able to build it and then that the animals were drawn to it. Like, that, like Noah didn't have to do anything. They just showed up. And then they came in and then the door was sealed and then it floated and then they survived. Right? That's a miracle. It's not a feat of engineering. A feat of engineering makes it sound like Noah had something to do with it. Noah didn't have anything to do with it other than God looked down and said, of all the people, he's the best. He's the one I'm going to restart with. And so he, he saves the life of Noah and his family and he brings all the animals in and finally the waters recede and Noah begins the process of repopulating the earth and it doesn't take long before we're corrupt and we're broken again. We have the whole Tower of Babel incident and then all of these things go on and captivity for Israel and the brokenness of man and all of this continues and finally God says that's it. I'm going to send my son Jesus and so he sends his son Jesus who the people of Israel have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for and looking for and watching for. And finally he's there. And what do they do with him? They reject him. They reject him. They turn their back on him. They send him to a cross. They murder him. They place him in a borrowed tomb. They place him in a tomb that doesn't even belong to him. They put him in a tomb that, that Joseph managed to negotiate the, the rights for and has him placed in. And so he goes into this tomb and they seal him up and they post guards there. But three days later he comes out. No matter how many times man walked away from God, God is continually drawn to man and he's constantly making a way for man to come and find him. And so we see this. Look at James chapter 1 verse 18. James chapter 1 verse 18 says this. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the truth that we would be His first fruits of His creatures. The best of His creatures. The, the set aside of all of His creation. We are that thing that He looks at and He says, yep, that's, that's it. And that is, that is it. Of all the things that I've done, this is the, this is the one that I've done the best. This is the one that I, that, I, that I look at and I go, man, everything that I wanted, everything that it should have been, that's it right there. And that's us. It was such great promise and we squandered that. We blew it. We walked away from it. Right? We, we should, how many times do we watch an athlete, college athlete, that gets a chance to go to school 
football and prepare themselves for a possible career in the NFL. Or a basketball player that's given a chance to go to college and play basketball and prepare themselves for a possible uh, uh, job one day in the NBA. Or a baseball player with Major League Baseball or a soccer player with the NSL or MLS. And they, they do and they go to college and they're doing that and, and yet they find themselves more appealing than what they're there to do. And they, they get themselves in trouble and they get thrown out of school. And we look at it and what do we say? We're such a waste. Like such a waste. But they had everything. They had everything and they squandered it. They were given the chance for an education. They were given the chance for, for an opportunity to, to grow and, and learn and get better and, and, and go and have a professional career. They just threw it all away. And we shake our heads, but yet we are the exact same thing. God gave us such promise and gave us such opportunity and gave us, you know, so many chances and yet so many times we just squander it. And we throw it away. But we are His first fruits. We are His chosen. But God is driven. He's driven to provide a way for us. He's driven to provide a, a connection point to us. God does not love us because we are lovable. You ever, you ever, husbands, have you ever done something wrong? You knew your wife was upset with you. And so you tried to make it up, not by apologizing or not by doing the right thing, but just by being cute and lovable. Right? They just look at me just like, yeah, but you know, I'm so cute and lovable, right? Like, you just gotta forgive me. Instead of making it right, we just become lovable, right? Like, we're, like we think we're this little, you know, squishy teddy bear. Most of us are squishy. We're just not this squishy, cute teddy bear, right? Like, we passed that a long time ago. Like, five or six, we outgrew our, our, you know, our ability to be cute and cuddly and forgivable. Right? And so we move on. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. He doesn't love us because we deserve His love. If anything, we are the exact opposite of deserving of His love. Instead, the, the state of mankind since the fall of man and the first sin is one of rebellious disobedience to God. Rebellious disobedience. Look at Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Listen to the, listen to the gravity of that, of that verse. The human heart is the most deceitful of all. Like of everything out there, the worst thing out there is the human heart. It's the most deceitful of all and it's desperately wicked. It's desperately wicked. Have you ever been desperate for something? Like... To the point that you would do anything to, to get what you wanted or see the end result that you wanted. I, I mean, if you watched Tiffany Cantrell and I the other day were, were um, texting back and forth. We were watching the movie Miracle. Anybody in there seen the movie Miracle? Okay, a couple of you raise your hand. A couple of you are like, are we supposed to raise our hands? Maybe you just haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's okay. It's about the Miracle on Ice, the U.S. beat the Russians uh, in the Olympics and hockey, the Winter Olympics and hockey. And, uh, and there's a moment where they play a team. They go overseas, they play a team in kind of a, a, a warm-up match, and they get drilled. And, and while they're playing, the players aren't into it. They're looking at the, at the girls across the ring, and they're talking about maybe setting up dates for later and everything. And so her, the coach, gets the team out there, and he begins to make them skate back and forth. And he just keeps blowing the whistle. He kept the whistle blowing, the whistle blowing, the whistle blowing, the whistle blowing. 
And the guys can't really stand up, and they're throwing up, and they're about to die. And the doctor's like, Herb, you're going to kill him. And Herb's like, blow the whistle. And the assistant coach is like, I don't want to blow the whistle. And Herb's like, blow the whistle. You know, and he just keeps blowing the whistle. And they keep skating. And they're throwing up, they're vomiting, and they're just going on, and going on, and going on. And earlier in the movie, Herb had asked them all what their name was and where they, who they played for. And they would say their name. And then they would say the college that they played for. And that wasn't really what he was looking for. Because he wanted them to identify themselves as one team and not several individual teams coming together. And they're about to die. They're, they're heaving and they're throwing up and they're coughing and their legs are dead. They just played a game. Now they've been skating. They turn the lights out and the hockey rink on them thinking they'll leave. And they just keep skating. And Herb just keeps saying, blow the whistle. And they keep blowing the whistle. They keep skating and skating. Blow the whistle, blow the whistle, blow the whistle. And finally, he blows the whistle and one of them yells his name out. One of the players yells his name out. Herb stops. He says, who do you play for? He says, USA, United States of America. And Herb says, that's enough. You're done. Listen, that guy was digging for anything it took to make it stop. Right? Like, he wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, this is what Herb was. He was thinking, what can I possibly do to make this stop? He was desperate to make the skating stop. And it says that the heart is desperately wicked, meaning its nature is to do whatever it wants to do, whatever it desires to do, to do whatever it takes to be broken and to be wicked and to be false and to be lying and to be pleasurable and to be self-seeking. That's what the heart does. And then it ends with this. Who really knows how bad it is? In other words, nobody really knows how bad, how wicked, how desperate the human heart is. We've got some pretty good clues. We've watched some pretty nasty things throughout the centuries. Hitler and the decimation of the Jewish people. Jeffrey Dahmer. We look at people like that and we shake our heads. And go, how wicked, how evil can man be? And the question, the answer to that question is, we don't, we don't know. We don't know the depths of our wickedness. God doesn't love us because we're lovable. God doesn't love us because we're deserving of his love. God doesn't love us because he's just. God loves us because we're the first fruits of his creation. God loves us. Because he desires us. God loves us because he's forgiving. And so he desires that relationship with us. Our, our innermost parts. The innermost part of us is so corrupted by sin that we get to a point in our lives where we don't even realize that it's broken. We don't even realize it's flawed. And so we just push forward as if it's normal. Josh, don't we hit that part where we just think this is just who I am? And I just continue to move forward in this until, until we come face to face in that moment of reality and truth with a God who loves us beyond our brokenness, beyond our wickedness, beyond our natural state. We don't seek God, but God seeks us out. We don't love God. God loves us. We don't desire God. God desires us. And He comes and finds us. And in that moment, we realize just what we could.
desire the way that God desires us. We realize that we've never been wanted the way that God wants us. I see these memes on social media all the time that say, you know, hey, ladies, find a man that looks at you the way that, and then they fill in the blank with something, you know, goofy or funny or something like that. Listen, don't settle for the way that someone looks at something else. Realize that the perfection of love is the way that God looks at you. God looks at you with a perfect love. He looks at you beyond your flaws. He looks at you beyond your brokenness. He looks at you beyond your, your mistakes. He looks at you beyond that deceitful, evil, wicked heart that you have. And all He sees is His creation and how much He loves you. God has always been driven to provide a way to man. But there's an anatomy to His way. There's an anatomy of the way that God gets to us. In other words, there's a structure. There's a building block. There's a way to get there. God's essential nature to love us is demonstrated through His love by pouring it out on us even though we're undeserving and we're rebellious. But God's love is not a sappy, sentimental, romantic love like we might have for a, for a puppy or for a new car, or for a new outfit, or even for our seventh grade girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, those things that we love, and then we look back and we go, what was I thinking? Right? Like, we see that seventh grade girlfriend or boyfriend, 30 years later, we look and we go, ooh, dodge your bullet there. That was going to be rough. Like, like I am sort of thank you, God, you're looking out for me, right? Or the way that we love that puppy when it's a puppy then it grows into a 90-pound dog that eats everything, including the couch cushions. And we no longer love it. And we're like, I just want to get rid of you. Why do I even have you, right? Or that cat is so cute and so perfect until you go on a trip. And then it goes and finds your shoes and uses the bathroom in it. True story. <laughs> Nobody else's shoes in the house. Just mine. This is the cat that would sit on my shoulder and watch movies with me at night. This is the cat that was my buddy. This was the cat that helped me hunt squirrels when they got into my house. And yet when we would go out of town, he would go find my shoes and use the bathroom in it. Have you ever had a cat use the bathroom on something that you own? You just have to burn it. You can't keep it. You can't get rid of the smell. It just stays. Or that new car that you bought, you're like, this is the greatest car ever. I never want another car. And five, six, seven years down the road, for some of you even quicker than that, we look at it and go, this piece of junk. Like, I just want a new car. God's love is not like that. God's love is not a savvy, sentimental love. It's a complex love. It's a complete love. It's a perfect love. It's, a, it's, it's an agape love or a love of, of self-sacrifice. And that is the underlying theme of God's way to us. God sacrifices Himself to come to us. He demonstrates His sacrificial love by sending Jesus to us to die on a cross for our broken, deceitful, wicked self. Look at 1 John 4.10. 1 John 4.10 says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. It's in His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is real love. 
we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now, the Trinity is a really strange, bizarre, hard to grasp concept. But here's what we know. God is one in three forms. He is the Father, He is the Son, and He is the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to try and break it down and, and explain it all to you, but it's this very strange dichotomy of, of makeup of, of God having three different forms and conversing with Himself, yet being one God. So when Jesus came to earth, He was 100% God, and He was 100% man. So when that scripture says that He sacrificed his son on the cross. God is sacrificing himself on the cross. It's an agape love. It's a self-sacrificing love. It's a love that gives of itself for us, even though we don't deserve it. It's the love that every parent should have for their children. Every parent's not equipped with it, but we should have it. We should look at our children and automatically, no matter what they look like, no matter what they act like, no matter where they go, no matter what they do, we should love them. It doesn't mean that we cover for them. It doesn't mean that we make up for their mistakes, but we love them through it. And God loves us in a self-sacrificing way. First John 4.10 tells us that. The anatomy is, is that God sacrifices Himself and then He draws us to Himself. Look at this next passage of Scripture in John chapter 6. It says, For no one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws them to Me. And at that last day, I will raise them up. For no one can come to, to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws them to Me. Joshua didn't wake up that morning and go looking for Jesus. But he, he drew you to Him. On, on the day that I got saved at the age of 16, I didn't go to church that night expecting to find Jesus. But He drew me to Him. What did He draw me to? His sacrifice. That, that self-sacrifice that God made of Himself. And He draws us to Him. And He allows us to accept that love. And He did this in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What's the anatomy? What's the makeup of God's way? That He sacrificed Himself for us in our brokenness. That He draws us to that sacrifice even though we don't deserve it. And as simply as it could possibly be made, all we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is say yes to it. He's a way maker. God makes a way when there is no other way. Make no mistake about it, there is no other way for us to find relationship with God except by the way that He made. He is a way maker. Maybe you're here today and you've never found your way to God. Maybe, maybe you're still sitting there in your broken, wicked state. Maybe you're still sitting there covered in your sin. 
God has made a way for you to get out of that brokenness, to get out of that loneliness, to get out of that, that runaround in life. He's made a way when there is no other way. And He's drawing you to Him. If that's you today, God is waiting for you to accept His free gift of eternal life. He's waiting for you to say, Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And I understand the sacrifice that you made for me. And today, Lord, I accept it. Forgive me of my sins. And save me. Maybe you're here today and you know Him. You've fallen away from Him. You're not living for Him. He lavished His love on you and you took it. And then you abused it like you have the love of so many people in your lives. This morning he's saying, I still love you. I still love you. Let's come back. Let's come back home. Let's come back home. Maybe God right now is impressing on you a joke. Someone for you to go and share your story with. Someone for you to go and have a conversation with. Oh, they probably know how I stand with God. Maybe it's time to go and have that conversation with Him. Maybe it's time for you to be the pathway that God will use to bring that person to Him. Whatever it may be, God is a way maker. He's making moves in all of our lives. The question is, are we willing to respond? Would you back ahead and close your eyes with me this morning? Jesus, we just come to you, Lord. And as we enter into a time of, of worship and response, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that right now in this moment, God, you would impress upon them so strongly, Lord Jesus, that they need you, that they wouldn't leave here without coming to know you, Lord. If they would turn to the person to their left or to their right and just say, I need to know God, can you help me? Or they would turn to that person and say, I need to know Jesus, will you just walk down front with me while I talk to Tom? Or there's that person that you respect greatly in the room, and Lord, you would just give them the strength to go to that person and say, can you help me, I need to know Jesus. Lord, I pray for that person, Lord, that's sitting here right now that knows you, God, but maybe they've wandered away from you. And you're telling them right now in your heart, listen, I love you, come back. Lord, maybe you're impressing on them right now or someone in the room, the image of someone, God, that they need to go to. They need to share their story with you, with them. And I pray that you just move us to pray right now to give us strength and courage to be bold in the lives of those people that you're placing on our hearts, that you're imprinting on our minds right now. Jesus, just take the next few minutes and do with it what you would do. Lord, we give you the praise and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.